Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Frank Spangler, and this is Worldviews, a podcast that seeks to find harmony between the philosophies and worldviews of religion and science. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Had the author of Genesis stopped his account of the creation event there, Christianity would most likely be in a much stronger position today. The large churches of Europe may be filled with worshipers, Christian universities would be at their capacity, and dedicated missionaries would be advancing the message of a personal and loving Creator throughout the world with enthusiasm and vitality. Unfortunately, some of the verses that follow this leading statement in Genesis has created a difficulty in how the Christian message is being received around the world. With the rise of modern science and the discoveries that have been made about the world and the universe, the Genesis account of creation has fallen under attack. Those who still hold the text sacred are ridiculed and called relics of a lost world of superstition and fairy tales. In our discussion today, I want to take a very close look at the description of the creation event as it is found in the book of Genesis. I believe that many will be surprised by what it actually says. A friend of mine who attended a public university told me about his first day in Biology 101. He said, The teacher began the lecture by asking how many in the class believed in the biblical account of creation. About 70% of the students raised their hands. At the end of the semester, the teacher asked the same question again. This time, only about 10% of the students raised their hands. What had happened? In just four months, the teacher and the biology textbook had managed to caused the majority of the class to give up belief in creation and adopt a completely different worldview. Sadly, this happens every semester in thousands of universities around the world. Some teachers even suggest to their students that if they ever want to make it as a scientist, if they ever want to find work in a scientific field, that they will need to give up on the fairy tales of the Bible. Give up on the idea of a supernatural creation by an imaginary creator. Some creative biology professors might even devote a whole lecture to going through the first chapter of Genesis in their class in detail, carefully pointing out all of the references to an old worldview of the cosmos. 
The point of the exercise, of course, is to attempt to show their impressionable young students that the Bible, as they say, gets it wrong from the very first page and can therefore not be inspired by an all-knowing God who cannot lie. They conclude for their students that the Bible account of creation is nothing more than a creation myth of an ancient people, no more valuable to us today than the creation accounts of, say, ancient Babylon or Egypt. Once she has totally destroyed the very foundation of the belief system and worldview of her students, the professor is free to then present the concept of the development of life by completely random, natural forces as a replacement to the foundation she has just ripped out from underneath them. And as we see by my friend's story, they are often very successful. In today's discussion, I would like to take you through much the same process an atheist or a biology professor might take in their class uh, as we examine the first chapter of Genesis together. I believe that this is an important exercise that all Christians and seekers should go through, preferably before they get to Biology 101. Consider this something like an inoculation, an immunization that every Christian should have before going off to a public university. So that being said, let's get started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. At the beginning of the creation week, God starts with a water world. It is empty, it is dark, there is no sun, no planetary system, just a rogue planet completely covered in water with no life. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. A good question that we might ask at this point is, where does the light come from if the sun hasn't been created yet? Or how can you have evenings and mornings without a sun? But let's not worry about that. The lights are now on. We can get to work on creation. Let's move on to day two. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. 
The old King James Version of the Bible calls this a firmament. I would like you to notice how another respected translation describes the event of day two. The new revised standard version of the Bible says it this way. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Let's see what happens in day three. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Note that all of this dry land is created inside the dome, under the sky. The dome is still keeping the waters of the original world separated. Water is still above the dome ceiling. Day four. Now, this is where it gets very interesting our biology professor says. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day. Not only is it difficult to accept that the sun, moon, and stars come so late in the scheme of things, but it is extremely troubling where these lights are placed. To everyone's surprise, they are placed inside the dome. They are set inside the vault that space between the separated waters that is called sky. As I think of what else a biology professor might say to her students at this point in the lecture, I can see the poor young students who grew up in Christian homes squirming in their seats. Let's go on with day five. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So, the important thing to catch here is that the birds fly through the vault of the sky, the same space 
as where the sun, moon, and stars are placed inside the dome, whose ceiling is holding up a vast storage of water. On day six, the land, animals, and people are created. A presentation like this is usually followed up with some comparisons to the creation myths of other cultures and how obvious it is that the Bible is nothing more than the creation myth of a long-ago culture and has no validity in our scientific world today. The professor may make a strong appeal to the students to as they come together in Biology 101, that they need to put aside everything that they have learned about the Bible and God, because as we will discover in our lesson to, lessons together, that science now proves that a creator God is no longer necessary, that the creation of this universe and this world can be explained by naturalistic events, that we do not need to any longer appeal to a supernatural uh, cause for creation. This is then followed up by a whole semester of presentations giving evidence for a naturalistic explanation of life. It is stated, an imaginary God is no longer necessary to explain life. The statement is often made, God is dead. The Bible may be okay for your parents, but now it is time to move on. Well, what do you think of this presentation? Can you see how many people talk about how the Bible gets it wrong from the very first page? This is what they are talking about. Christians and others who believe in the inspiration of the Bible are no doubt shaking their heads, sure that I must be presenting it wrong. And yet, this is perhaps the most simple, clear, and literal reading and presentation of the Genesis account of creation that most Christians will have ever heard or seen. Before I close this presentation, I would like to go on record as saying that I believe that the Genesis 1 account of creation is inspired by the Creator and that it holds many beautiful insights of understanding that are applicable to us today living in the 21st century. I do not believe that it is just ancient mythology, like the creation myths of other cultures. Instead, I believe that it offers a wealth of insight into the actual creation event. In our next lesson, I want to go through the passage again and propose how Genesis 1 still has many valuable things for us to see today. I believe that with a correct understanding of how inspiration works and a few tools of responsible interpretation of the Bible, I believe that the presentation of our biology professor would have absolutely no effect on young Christian students. Not only would they walk away from this lecture on Genesis unfazed, 
But at the end of the semester, be in that 10% who boldly raise their hands to declare to everyone around them that they still believe that this universe was created by a magnificent designer God as described in the Bible. Something else that I would like to point out before we close uh, that I believe is very important. I, I believe I would be remiss if I left it out. And that is, I believe that the way many Bible critics and skeptics and atheists and biology professors handle Genesis 1 or refer to Genesis 1 as proof, as though there could not possibly be a creator God, is a blatant abuse of false argumentation methods. Even if you have a difficult time understanding why Genesis 1 says what it does, and why God would communicate it this way. How does that in any way prove or even indicate that there could possibly be no creator? Let me give you an example of the logical error in this kind of reasoning. Let's say that uh, the last time that I passed through the Hong Kong airport that I stepped into one of the many electronics gift shops that are there and picked up a cheap smartphone. Um, I wanted something as a backup in case my good phone died uh, or I dropped it in the ocean as I sometimes do and uh, I wanted to have a backup. And so I, I, I buy this cheap smartphone and I start playing around with it. Uh, seems okay. The features are good. I can run all my apps. It has a good camera. I can take photos, video, and do internet calls. But then one day as I start reading through the instruction manual that came with the phone, I find that I have a difficult time making any sense of it at all. The translation from the original language is so bad and so full of cultural references that it, it reads more like a fairy tale. As a result, I come to the conclusion that the phone could not possibly have been designed at all. If the alleged designer and manufacturer could not even write a proper manual that could make sense to me, I had to obviously conclude that there could not have been a designer. I start telling all my friends that, hey, look, at I've got this phone that, that wasn't even designed. They say, what? What are you talking about? Well, the manual that came with it, I can't make any sense of it at all. It, it, it must have been self-assembled. It could not possibly have been designed. What would you say if I tried to submit an argument like that? You would probably say, have you lost it? <laughs> what does one have to do with the other? It's a complex device. All of the apps work. It takes photos, videos. You can do Skype chats. How could you possibly come to the conclusion that it wasn't designed? You might tell me that if I really wanted to understand the manual, 
that came with the phone that what I might do is hire a specialist, someone who really understands and is fluent in the original language and can maybe give me a better translation or give me some insight into what the original uh, author was trying to say when they wrote that manual. But you can't propose that just because you don't understand the manual that therefore the device could not have been designed. That would be ludicrous. And you would be right. It is very easy to recognize that my argument had no foundation at all in logic. Unfortunately, freshman college students taking Biology 101 have not yet taken any classes, usually, in debate or or likely to know anything about fallacies or fallacious argumentation methods, and so are easily duped by the simplest straw man argument. I think one of these days we'll have to do a lesson on fallacious argumentation methods so that students can identify them and be prepared to meet them. For now, I want to say thanks for watching this presentation, and I do hope that you will come back for our next lesson where we will go through Genesis 1 again, and this time uh, I will be drawing many principles and ideas that are still valuable for us today living in the 21st century. Until then, may you find peace in the beauty and magnificence of the Genesis account of creation. So long for now.